I, I moved into a place called Crystal City, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. You know Crystal City. I do know Crystal City. There is no more Crystal City anymore, nor is there a Pentagon City. It is now called National Landing at the insistence, really? at the insistence of Amazon. Shut up. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that they didn't call it the Amazon. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Hey, Christopher. Hey, Liz. How's it going? It uh, hanging in there. I can't believe it's not 2021 yet. This oh this year continues to just linger on. It, yeah, it is a house guest that will not leave. <laughs> exactly. That's a perfect metaphor. What's top of mind for you as 2020 draws to a close? Top of mind for me is I'm moving. You're moving. I'm moving. Yes, 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 yes. I am vacating my apartment in Washington, D.C., more specifically the National Landing, formerly known as Crystal City, that's owned (laughs) by Amazon. Thanks, Amazon, for the rebrand. Yes, we are National Landing. We are part of Arlington County, and I have been here for two and a half years, and Mm -hmm. I am leaving. So immediately my plan is to move back to California for a few months. Mm-hmm. Um, just to kind of ride out the COVID winter there uh, oh with some God. hopefully warmer weather. Sounds amazing. Yes, yes. That's um, that's the hope. Spend some time with family. Yeah, so I'm just, uh, I guess top of mind for me is, you know, I've been through this a few times now. I've moved. I I think it's it's such a huge privilege to say that I've been able to live in in so many different places over the course of my life. And I'm always like in the in the process of moving out, you're always kind of like, you know, taking stock of what this place meant, you know, in the context of your life and and just like, um, you know, you know, what were the highs, what were the lows, you know, just kind of going through that reflection process. And I like to think about these things in chapters, right? Like, so if I had a heading for a chapter, what did this chapter mean, right? Yeah, I want to know. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, like London was like the PhD chapter, New York was like the coming of age chapter, you know, all that. And I think, I think DC, you know, I, I've been telling people that I, I feel like I never really gave DC a, a proper chance. Mm. Um, and a lot of my mentality coming into it was just like, okay, it's just a place to live. I just I just want something a little boring. And mm-hmm. and I know that sounds derogatory, but that's exactly what I was looking for. It's sort of like how, you know, after four years of Trump, you know, I'm okay with something boring and joking. Yeah. That, that's like... <laughs> what I want more than anything right now. And that in the course of my life, I think that that's what DC, I, I, I don't mean to say that DC is a boring city. That's not what I meant. I think mm-hmm. where I was men- mentally, emotionally was I'd been in so much flux um, before coming to DC that I um, wanted something just, just regular, you know, a yeah. nine to five job, you know, um, like good friends. I have family here and, you know, just something normal for a change because I had been around and just kind of like living out of a suitcase and zipping around and doing such unconventional stuff that doesn't really have a path laid out. You know, I don't mm-hmm. often didn't, didn't, didn't know what I was doing, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just wanted something stable and a chance to exhale, get my footing again, um, just kind of look around, see what's going on and build a little stability for me. And, and I think that that's what this place offered. You know, it was a very mm-hmm. good and stable place. I think this area is full of really good people, good solid people who have a passion for what they do, and you know there there's there's an idealism in this city that I appreciate, and yeah, I I I can't have any complaints about this place. I had good fond memories, um, and yeah, moving on. So yeah, and I think like as someone who's kind of moved around a bit, like this this is always a good opportunity. It's always a good yeah. opportunity to kind of like reset. Uh, with your things, right? With your just like mentality, with your identity and all these kinds of things. It's a nice like refresher. And, you know, the first few times you do it, it's a little scary. But I think that once you do it a few times, like you can have the silver linings of it. So um, yeah, that's what's been on top of mind. A lot of just reflecting and thinking about this time. Could you say, Christopher, that after mm-hmm. all of these years of like living overseas on different continents, moving here and there to and fro, that DC was kind of your national landing? <laughs> Bravo. I submit that as the title for this chapter. 
<laughs> wow, National Landing. I like the irony behind it. Yeah. Too. Anyway, for your consideration, that. and also punch me in the face for that pun. <laughs> Uh, no, no, I think that's right. I think that's right. I think that like, uh, like I said, I was just kind of out there and I just needed, I just needed something uncomplicated. You needed a landing spot and that's what DC provided for you. That's right. That's exactly right. Yes. Lovely. Yes. Lovely, yeah. lovely. Well, you haven't said, you, you haven't said where you're going after California. Oh, I'm going to New York. I think that if I had just gone straight back to New York after being abroad, it might have been a little too much for me. I think mm, I would sure, have been. Sure, sure. I would have short circuited as a person. So I, I needed something quiet. Yeah, it's like how they talk about they talk about how like in like good art or in like like good fashion, like your eye needs a place to rest. You know. Ooh. Yeah. You can't be too you can't be too busy or else your eye doesn't know where to rest. And like this is Ooh. like you just you needed a in like the the timeline of your life. Yes. You needed a spot to rest before yeah. you know. That's right. In my mind's eye, I think of a large concrete slab of a building that's <laughs> highly bureaucratic, has uh -huh. ridiculous Greek columns. Uh -huh. Amazing. <laughs> because class, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> that in my mind's eye is what DC represents, is this like boring yet solid building that has no ornate personality that's what i needed for just a little bit yeah that's great yeah and what about you liz what's been on the top of your mind oh mine is very very different and far less important but i am excited to tell you about it so in the year of our lord 2020 mm. i'm 37 years old yes and i can say that it has finally happened to me i am officially team harry styles Whoa, I did not see that coming. And I have to say, I am also a distant fan of Harry Styles. Oh my God, I can't wait to talk about this with you. Yes. Okay, so when One Direction was a thing, I was like, who is this weaselly looking dude with absurd hair right. that all of my high school students are obsessed with? Yes. Um, I don't get it. I just didn't get it. But then... When he made the turn to solo artist in like 2017, I feel like that's when things started changing a little for me. Okay. Like he was a great musical guest on SNL. I was shocked. Mm -hmm. um, he had a great carpool karaoke episode. He was reportedly very good in Dunkirk, which I did not see. I did um, yeah. And then in 2019, he was a fabulous SNL host. He was very funny. He was reportedly like super generous and kind and thoughtful to the cast and crew. He also, he like, you know, he was like becoming this like style icon. Mm -hmm. And then this year he just did that Vogue cover, right? Mm -hmm. That like got all this like buzz because he's wearing a gown on it. And I just, I just really like that he is playing with these boundaries of masculine and feminine. Mm -hmm. And I like it especially because he has a lot of things that other men envy, which gives him clout with men. And he's using that to challenge their ideas about masculinity. You know, mm. I like that his masculinity is very secure and not threatened by like stereotypically feminine things. Yes. Um, and then there's, I feel like he just keeps coming up in all of these little things. Like a few weeks ago, Nick Kroll, told this very sweet story in the tonight show about how he and Harry Styles are shooting a moving a movie together right now and how excited Harry was about the fact that Nick was about to propose to his now wife and Harry was the first person to learn about their engagement because he texted Nick to be like have you done it yet um and then Nick went on to have this like very private wedding in Big Sur that was like just him and his wife and their photographer and like Harry had flowers sent the hotel like he just seems like a really decent guy so all that to say that I finally get it yeah 10 years ago I rolled my eyes at all my high school students who were swooning over him but now I get it your high school students just just admit it Liz they have a good eye that was a good eye good spot I really did. It, it made zero sense to me now. And even my my memory of what he looked like in 2010 yeah. makes no sense. But I feel like he's like grown into this like 
I don't know, like a very interesting person, you know, and that's not something that happens often to people who get famous young. That's true. That's true. But he was always the one like when I think about One Direction, I can't actually visually remember anyone else's face except for his because he <laughs> he had such a striking look and he's yes. always had that look, right? Yes, exactly. Um, and then I remember watching Dunkirk and and I didn't know that he was in it. Mm. And I and I wasn't even expecting him to be in it. And so when he showed up, I'm like, wow, this guy looks a lot like Harry Styles. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, I couldn't take my eyes off this guy. And, and, and until it wasn't until like the third watching, I'm like, I think that is Harry Styles. Actually, like one of the biggest stars in the world, actually. <laughs> That's him. Because I wouldn't expect him One Direction Harry Styles to be in Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk, right? Correct. You would not expect that. And so the cognitive dissonance was so strong that mm-hmm. I was watching him. I made the mental remark that this guy looks a lot like Harry Styles and that mm-hmm. he has a very striking look. And it never mm-hmm. dawned on me that it could be Harry Styles. And it was. Mm-hmm. It was. I want to hear why you are a distant fan of Harry Styles. I'm a distant fan. Well, I mean, the Vogue cover really, really like won me over, of course, mm-hmm. recently. Mm-hmm. And I think that, yeah, going back to the whole thing about striking looks, right? Mm-hmm. A singular look and a singular sort of vibe and aura or whatever, mm-hmm. I think is is always to me worth celebrating, even though I don't know anything about that singularity. Right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of another example. Um, uh, it'll, it'll come to me at some point. Like some somebody that I don't know anything about, but I'm like, this person seems like very good at what they do because... Tilda Swinton. Yes, Tilda Swinton. Yes, I also think that she's... Like, I can't look away. And I like mm-hmm. that quality. It's like this indefinable, undefinable thing that mm-hmm. some scouting director or some talent person was like, this person is going to be something. And then, yeah. like, the instinct is right. I don't know what that is. Whatever yeah. it is, it is, you know? Yeah. Tilda Swinton is a perfect example. So I am a distant fan of Harry Styles in the same way that I'm a distant fan or more close fan of Tilda Swinton. Ugh, okay. I'm glad we discussed this. And I'm glad <laughs> that we can now discuss this more in the future. We are laying the groundwork for future conversations that you and I will have, probably offline, about Harry Styles. Would Harry Styles be the... Uh, who, who's going to take over the Brad Pitt mantle one day? From from me? Uh, yeah, you. And then the, the place that Brad Pitt occupies in Hollywood. Oh, that's a very difficult question. I mean, we talked about this in a previous episode, but like, they don't make stars like Brad Pitt anymore. Mm-hmm. And Leonardo DiCaprio, right? So right. that like the '90s era of star making is done. So I really am not sure, but I think um, Harry Styles occupies the space that David Bowie used to occupy. Ooh, that is a very big name that you just threw out there. But if you think about wow. it, like rock star playing mm-hmm. with gender, playing with yeah. fashion, yeah, um, you know, like wow. blurring the, the blurring those boundaries. I think. And a stand-up guy, like I feel like I feel like that's who Harry Styles is. Wow, that is. I'm gonna hold on to that. That's pretty sharp. That's pretty I, good. I don't think I'm the first person to make that observation, but thank you. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's a very keen, keen critical eye there. So, anyway, so if you've listened to the show for a minute, you know that we love an opportunity. To for reflection, whether that's a birthday or an anniversary of a big event or like a beginning or ending of any kind. Um, we like to take the opportunity to reflect on what the last whatever has meant, as you can see in Chris's reflections about DC. So last year around this time, we did a decade in review, which uh, was one of my favorite episodes. And now that this year is drawing to a close, we wanted to talk about it and talk about it and just reflect on what this year has meant for us. Yeah, and what a year. Oh, God, what a year. Um, but like, there's so much that we can talk about in terms of things that happened this year, and we have, obviously. But I guess like just to focus this in specifically on you and your experience, how did 2020 change you? I mean, I think in the most simple terms, I think it made me more of a grateful person. I mean, there is a mm-hmm. stripping effect that this year has had, right? And both of us have mentioned that we are luckier than so many people out there, right? Um, I'm still employed. I'm still doing a job that I love and I still have the ability to do it. And then 
one day this will pass and mm. the things that maybe I took for granted, you know, simple things like indoor dining, right? When, mm. when did you ever think that that's something that would be taken away, right? <sighs> yeah. I um, get strangely emotional now when I watch live performances of things on mm. YouTube, mm-hmm. like, you know, live music or concerts or just what people do for each other. You know, sharing their talent, all of us gathering together, that big social experience. And and you get moved and you watch these shows. And for those kind of things to be taken away was something that I didn't expect to miss as much as I have. Yeah. You know? Once you take these things away that you took took for granted, you become a more grateful person. So that's probably the biggest thing for me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's like a hundred things that uh, that's like changed between the two of us. But what's one thing for you? Let me provide some context for this. So when I became a parent, I feel like that pushed me to the next level of what I was capable of, Hmm. for better and for worse, right? Like my capacity for love, for anger, for strength, for exhaustion. It's like the whole sphere Hmm. expanded for me in a way that no single event ever had before. And I feel like the pandemic did that again. Um, and since I have now had two children and lived through a pandemic in the course of the last five years, (laughs) I feel like there's now been like several, there's now several concentric spheres, which is wild, like not something that I ever anticipated, but, Mm -hmm. um, I feel like because at this point I have been just stretched in every way for so long and without respite like nine months at this point, I have seen that I'm capable of surviving more than I realized and thriving in harsher conditions and accomplishing things in impossible circumstances. And all of that is like nothing to sneeze at, right? And it's also shown me that I am capable of rage that I did not think I was capable of before, both Mm. the outburst kind and the simmering in the background kind. Mm. So... Mm new capacities all around. Mm. You know, when you said that you're being stretched in all kinds of ways, mm-hmm. I immediately finally understood. I, I understood the joke in The Incredibles of making mm. the mom Elastigirl. Um, Ooh, that's good, dude. <laughs> I didn't put that together. That's good. I think that's the joke. I think that's right. Because you see her in the kitchen just like, you know, like, um, you know, stopping a fight with one hand and mm-hmm. then like, cooking the meal with the other and then like, Mm. you know, opening the door with her feet with the other. Right. And that's, I immediately had this image of, I mean, you have very long limbs, of course. So it's like, (laughs) it's just just like stretching and like scooping two, two, two kids with one hand, putting masks on the whole family with the other and somehow, you know, keeping it all together. Yes. That's a lot. That's how it's felt. And I think related to that, I feel like, It has also pushed my interdependence on my spouse to the next level in the same way that parenthood did. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like, you know, once you have a kid, or at least for me, let me just speak for myself, like before having a kid, we obviously had a life together. But like, you know, if one of us stayed up too late one night, it was it had no effect on the other person. Mm -hmm. But once we had a kid one of us staying up too late meant that the other person then had to pick up more of the slack the next day, right? And I feel like it really reconceptualized our understanding of what our relationship was, that like we are a unit now and everything one person does affects the other. And I feel like that took on, it it became next level in this pandemic because both of us are exhausted. We haven't had a break in nine months. No one has the bandwidth for anything. So Sometimes, like, I just need to, to, like, pass the baton to my spouse for literally 15 minutes so I can recover for a minute and then take it back. Like, it's at that level of, like, passing it back and forth and, like, doing what we can. Like, whenever one of us has a moment or a burst of energy when we can handle something, uh, taking that on so the other person can rest. Like, I I really feel like we are more of a unit now than we were before we started this out of necessity. Mm, that's a pretty you know? big change. Yeah. How about, okay. Anything else for you? Gratitude is a big one. Yes. Um, another one is I I realized that I had this, um, I don't want to call it a cynicism, but I had this like deterministic way of thinking 
before all this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, things just felt more or less like entrenched, I guess, or embedded. And this year, everything got flipped upside down in a way that I didn't actually think was possible. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly didn't think like something. And I'm I'm not, I'm talking about pandemic specifically, but like everything we saw with the election, everything, just everything that happened with you know the the riots that happened after George Floyd. All of it happening at one time. And then on top of that, like all of the sort of the dual realities, alternate realities Mm -hmm. emerging Mm -hmm. and then how that actually affects our politics. And then and then this pandemic that just kind of like completely shut us indoors for all this time. I I honestly didn't think that stuff like this was possible, Mm. you know, and Mm -hmm. it kind of like definitely shook some core beliefs. Right. Mm -hmm. So some core beliefs and understandings about things will be things are just generally stable you know and once in a while you might have like some weird thing that we'll all discuss and obsess over and blah 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 like mm-hmm. this showed me that fundamentally things may not be as stable as i thought they were yeah yeah that's a really good point cuz if there is anything that like we should have been able to get behind or should have been uniting was like the reality of this like common cause slash enemy in the coronavirus right like right. That should have been clearly uniting, but instead it just, we just got split into two completely different realities. Right. It was the, there was already a cleave there and this was the cleaver that broke us apart. Yes, that's good. That's a really good way of putting it. And like, how do we, and after what we've seen, like, how do we ever get back on the same, how do we ever, how do we ever get back to one reality ever? That genie is out of that bottle. I don't know. Yeah. I really don't because, you know, if there's one indisputable thing, it's people getting sick, people going to the hospital, people dying, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the fact that this is even contentious is like, if this is contentious, like what hope do we have? Yeah, yeah. (sighs) So, yeah, I don't know what that means necessarily. It's just that it's opened my eyes and I think it it tracks along a lot lot with what your reflections have been about with democracy and how fragile Mm -hmm. it actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that all of this has like definitely revealed some of the cracks um, and vulnerabilities that make this whole thing not as stable as I thought or assumed it was. Yeah. I've heard people talk about like, oh, like this is what like late stage democracy looks like. When I heard that before, like a few years ago, I was like, oh, that's interesting. But mm-hmm. I, I kind of I, I don't think it's a joke anymore necessarily. Right. Like, I think that's a real possibility. Yeah. And when you say late stage democracy, I'm like a little sad because it's like we haven't really been around that long. <laughs> we haven't. We haven't. And we haven't really been along that, around that long. And we're also the oldest democracy in the world. Yeah. It, it makes you wonder. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's become such a norm, like the democratic way of you realize like how how much of an experiment it still is. That's right? exactly right. That's exactly right. It is yeah. still such an experiment. Yeah. I feel like deep inside there was a paradigm shift here. Hmm. Um, and sort of like, you know, the naive part of me that I didn't know was naive, right? My mm-hmm. my belief in democracy. Yeah. <laughs> right? Or the, my belief in the durability of democracy. Yeah. Yeah. Was definitely shaken for sure. Sure. So what other ways? I'm sure there's like many, many different ways. Yeah. I think just maybe taking what you just said and bringing it to a micro level. Uh-huh. I feel like this year took a toll on some of my relationships and I am not sure how they're going to recover. Hmm. And I'm talking specifically about people who have been in my view, like incredibly irresponsible during the pandemic or like not taking it seriously. I really didn't expect the pandemic to change my relationships. Mm. Like the election, sure. Like that, you know, I don't have close friends who voted for Trump, but if I did, I could see why that would change our relationship, right? But I really thought that this pandemic at the outset was just going to be this, like we're all in this together situation, like we were just saying. Mm -hmm. But I did not expect that how the people in my life talked about it or handled it could have such a significant impact on how I perceive them. Mm. But it did. Mm. I don't know. I don't know what things look like on the other side of this. Well, I think, I think related to that, I think another thing that I've learned in myself and I think from what I've observed, like, I don't know if you've been through situations like this where like 
you like because some some a lot of this stuff has become habituated, right? And you're right, like all of these require a new sort of moral calculation, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But this whole thing, and this is human psychology, right? Like this whole, I don't, is it cognitive dissonance? Is it, I don't know what it is, right? Where you see it on the outside and you're looking in, and then you look at yourself and you're like, wait a second, like. I did something very similar and it never really even, you never really registered it for yourself as a moral issue. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it it requires like an active, like conscious, like thinking through and, and things that had been automatic, right. Like a hug, Mm -hmm. like you see a friend and a hug. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like that is such a, like, not like a, a, it was such an automatic response for all of our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And then like the, when the pandemic first hit, it's like those, those kind of things, before they got, it's like someone had to tell me, it's like, oh, I'm surprised you hugged that person. And then you're like, why? And then you had to like litigate it for yourself. Yeah, it becomes fraught. It becomes fraught and you think through it and then, and then it becomes the thing that kind of opens up all these other things that you have to like renegotiate and think Mm -hmm. about again. Mm -hmm. Right. But it, but more than anything, like even with those um, critical moments where you're thinking about things rationally or whatever, and then of course your behavior changes, the inconsistencies that come afterwards, right? And the rationalizations that people do and that I do and like all these kinds of like things, you can just see it, it's more, it, I think it, it, the broader frame is that it's, it's beyond like personal response. There is definitely a personal responsibility aspect to this, mm-hmm. but I think the broader frame is something to do with human psychology and, mm-hmm. and the extent to which we're like inconsistent people um, yeah. on the whole. And that's, that's been a really eye-opening thing for me to like witness in others and witness in myself and having yes. to like recalibrate that. That has been a very like strange and topsy-turvy experience for sure. Yeah. And just to take that a step further, like I totally agree with you about like trying to like come to terms with the inconsistencies that we see in the people around us and also in ourselves. Right. (laughs) And I think for me, what's been interesting, I was just talking to a friend about this the other day about how like people's inconsistencies, I think, in a way reflect values. (laughs) And so this friend was telling me how like frustrated she is that like her parents will like take all of these precautions against seeing her children but then like walked into a hair salon. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so she, it, and, and for me, like my interpretation of that, of why she was so frustrated about that was like, because it suggests a value, right? It suggests that whether or not this is true, it suggests that in some way getting a haircut was more important than seeing, spending time with her grandkids. You know what I mean? Something like that. But like, I feel like all of these tiny decisions that in the before times meant nothing now all of a sudden not only reveal our own inconsistent irrationality as actors but they also reveal or suggest something about values that are also like ripe for judgment you know and so everything has so many layers now Mm -hmm. (laughs) is Mm -hmm. maybe just like the long and short of what i'm trying to say um any other any other ways that you feel like you've changed um i think that yeah i mean like just on a uh, like a personal behavior level, right? Just like my understanding of hygiene and like oh, aerosols, dude. right? Dude. God, who knew that we would ever know this much? Right. Now I, I walk out and I'm like, am I ever going to sneeze in an elevator again? I, I think oh not, God. right? Like that's impossible. Yeah. Like I just, I you know that those CNN graphics where it's like, oh, this is how aerosols travel. And they have like huh. some like, some like uh, x-ray guy like, you know, talking and all these, like, it's like infrared smoke coming from this person's <laughs> face. I'm like, this is disgusting. It is gross. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the other things are like, I, I see these movies where, I, I think I saw this one scene where this person was considered an oddball. Mm-hmm. And they come in and, like, they they're forced to, like, shake hands with somebody and they automatically, like, wipe their hands with like disinfectant and everyone in the room is like oh what a weirdo yeah 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 totally and i'm like we're all the weirdos that's us this person is a pioneer a prophet right they they had this whole thing yeah um so i don't know i don't know how my mentality is going to change around that even after the vaccine comes out and stuff i feel like even that yeah that level i've changed yeah i'm like maybe masks are here to stay in america 
Like, I mean, they've never they're they're kind of like a permanent fixture in Asia for a while, right? Yeah. So maybe they're a thing here now. Actually, I have to say that during these cold cold weather months, uh, the mask is really helpful. Actually, I concur. Yeah. Concur. It's been nice to have something on my face. Yeah. I bought a full on balaclava uh-huh. for when I walk to like keep me warm in the winter, and I'm Feels never great. going back, man. Right. This is a permanent winter. Yeah. <laughs> I had a neighbor who told me that I looked crazy and I was like, get used to it, bitch. This is just my look now. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I wonder if it's like what the summer is going to bring. People are still going to be happy with their masks then. Big changes. Big changes. Do you have one more? I do have one more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My last one, I have far less patience for white nonsense than I used to. Mm. And I feel empowered to call it out more than I did before. Living in a progressive city in the Midwest, there is a lot of white performance. And there are a lot of tears from white women who are so upset that people of color can't see how hard they're trying. And I I just have no patience for it anymore. And I feel like the events of the summer have just empowered me in a way that I could just be like, nope. I don't I don't have to give you I don't even have to pretend to give you cookies. We have to like address this. We have to talk about this and I feel empowered to be the person who's like no. Mm. So and what was it about this year do you think that kind of led like led to that? Cuz it's like I I don't think that you were a person that had much patience for it to begin with um at the start of this year, right? Correct, Christopher. That is correct. Um I think just seeing After George Floyd was murdered, just seeing a lot of white words about caring about racism and systemic injustice and being inclusive space is just being like, fuck you. This is none of that. It's actually offensive that you think that that is true because this is not an inclusive space and you are not sensitive to these things. And I think it was just like the events, the national reckoning around race post George Floyd like I think really turned up the volume on a lot of those things. And it was just, I had no patience, truly no patience anymore for it. That was a, yeah, that was a a breaking point for a lot of folks for sure. You Mm -hmm. know? And I think too, because of the conversation, like I, I feel very empowered from the discourse that happened, you know, like I feel very empowered by all of the people who spoke up with critiques and like, I feel like I am in very good, strong company around of, of people being like, nope, 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 nope. And like, if I have the spoons to help make this better, I will. But I'm also not obligated to do that. That's not my job. So Ooh, we went through a lot this year. We went through a lot this year. Oh, my God. Um. So now that we've talked about 2020, what are you looking forward to in 2021? Besides the obvious. Vaccines, new president, sure. Yes, those are yeah, definitely two big things. Um, but I think as I mentioned, I'm you know kind of in a transition point, mm-hmm. moving out of DC, and mm-hmm. I'm not moving jobs or anything. But um, I think anytime there's a, a change of scene, you know, like um, in this case, I think I'll be reactivating old networks that I left behind. Mm-hmm. And um, but usually when you move to a place like. It off- offers new opportunities, new networks, new circles, mm-hmm. um, new experiences and all that. So that's what's immediately in store for me in 2021. Um, another thing I took for granted, of course, and I've complained loudly and uh, obnoxiously about how I was tired with travel, which is, you know, in some ways fair. I was very tired, but um, but kind of being locked in for a year <laughs> really does get those uh, juices flowing again in terms of like, you know, wanting to see nature and wanting to go to a different place and mm-hmm. hopping on a plane without having to like, you know, um, like dress like you're going into Tr- Chernobyl, you know, yeah, and um, all those things, right? So uh, just just the mobility again. I'm looking for, I think mobility is a big word. I'm looking for mobility in 2021 and looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, just, okay, if we're going to be in a quiet, sedentary place for a while, why not just... Um, try to make the best of it as much as possible. Yeah. So. God, so interesting. You were so over travel last year. Yes. So yes. over. Yeah. I think um I said a prayer about stopping travel and I think I think God probably <laughs> 
went a little too far. <laughs> like hold my beer. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. How about you? 2021. What's in store? What are you looking forward to? So my older kid starting kindergarten was supposed to be a huge milestone, not just for him, but also for me. I have been thinking about it since his first year, about having him in state-funded childcare for seven hours a day and how that would change my life and allow me to return to my professional life in a meaningful way. Wow, that's huge. Huge, huge. But it didn't happen this year. Right. And that was like a very difficult loss. I feel Mm. like, I mean... The fact that it was in the context of this like bigger pandemic and like everyone is in the same boat and women are suffering across the board in some ways made it easier to swallow, although it also made it sadder on a macro level. But yeah, it's been it's been hard. And like as somebody who loves working, this milestone that I was looking forward to for like four or five years being delayed has been tough. So um, I am really excited for that to happen next fall, question mark. Mm. Um, I feel like pre-vaccine news, there were even questions about whether it would happen in the fall. But now I feel like the vex- that the vaccine is happening and New York has decided to open schools for elementary school children. I feel like the, the, the tide is turning towards having younger kids in school. And there's like very little political will to keep that from happening. So fingers crossed. I actually I know nothing. So who actually knows? But I'm looking forward to that. And just being able to have a substantial amount of time in my life again to devote to actual work as opposed to like cramming it into like the nooks and crannies of my overstuffed life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Then watch out, world. Watch out. That's very, very, very generous of you. <laughs> but yeah. Make sure to keep, make sure to make time for the little guys, little hobby podcast. Oh my gosh, <laughs> this podcast not going anywhere. But and I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that in the midst of like, I mean, I've always appreciated our podcast so much, in in that it is a space that has nothing to do with the children, you know. Right. But I think especially in this pandemic when I have there has been so much time with the children, like I've especially appreciated it. So thanks, podcast. Thank you, Chris, for for this space. I think it goes both ways, of course. I mean, I don't have kids, obviously, but I have uh, (laughs) have a lot lot of things that I don't want to deal with and look in the face. So this podcast has been a welcome (laughs) lifeboat for me as well. (laughs) Fabulous. All right. Um, So it seems only fitting that we would talk about the things that we'll never do again after 2020, because this has been such a year of such cataclysmic change, huge society shifting change. And there are some things, some parts of our old life that are just going to stay in our old life forever, which is like kind of hard to wrap our minds around. So we wanted to talk specifics, like what are some things that we're never going to do again after 2020? Yeah. Do you want to go first? Yes. Um, Okay. So never is a really big word, sure. and um, I think I think I struggle with that. But I'm going to give it my best shot. Like these things, some of these things might happen again. Let's sure. be real. But sure, of course. Let's, let's see. Okay. So a lot of these things I've actually already talked about throughout the course of the episode, but I'll just kind of distill it in a top five. Okay. So number five, I will never, and I will, I resolve to never take the simple joys for granted again. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So again, just like. Indoor dining with friends on a weekend. Mm, God, that sounds heavenly. Doesn't that sound so nice? Blissful. Eating food that someone else, a professional, cooked for you. Oh, my gosh. Incredible. Even takeout feels magical for me. (laughs) God. So that's a simple joy, indoor dining. Of course, I mentioned just like going to an out, like like a concert or some kind of performance. Like I want to see the ballet. You know, mm-hmm. I want to go to a, you know, a sports event again, have a hot dog. God, do you remember that this was the year you saw Hamilton? No, I don't remember. <laughs> I, that was this calendar year. That's just, I, I mean, like, thank God I did that. Yeah, it's truly. Thanks yes. to your sister for making that happen for you. Right. 
Right. And in a, in a, in a tiny little Broadway hall with like hundreds of New Yorkers <laughs> breathing together. Can't believe it. Just doesn't no. seem real. No. So simple joys. Gonna really soak it in later. And travel. I'm gonna throw in travel. I'm gonna appreciate travel again. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Saying a lot. Big change. Yeah. Um, number four. This is probably gonna happen again, but for the immediate future, commuting for work. Oh. Never again. Incredible. Yeah. And I think it this has shown us that like we we work just fine remotely. And yeah. if anything, they're getting way more production out of me. Because I have all this, like, I'm self-regulated by guilt, you know? Right. So if I take a, a leisurely coffee at 9 to 9.30, I'm making up for it at 11.30 with, like, guilt-ridden work, you know? Yes. Um, 11.30 p.m., that is. I am working more than I ever have. And so I think companies realize that, and I think remote work is here to stay. Yeah. So I may never commute for work again. And that's like a that's a game changer. The the landscape of work could completely change after this. The landscape of work, yes, yes, yes. And also like my rationalizations because like you know there were days like today is a we're we're going through a nor'easter over here on the east coast. Oh yeah. And like I was just looking outside. I was like inside. I was in my home clothes. I was like drinking coffee, snowing outside. And I remember those days when I had to like catch a metro ride and like a bunch of people and like walk and like slipping all over the place. And like the rationalizations for why I thought that was a good thing, you know, like, Oh, it's nice to get some fresh air and get Mm -hmm. some steps in and all true. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But as I was drinking my coffee this morning, I'm like all of those mental gymnastics that I did, Mm -hmm. that's done. That's goodbye. (laughs) No more of this. This is much better. Um, game changer. Yeah, you know. yeah, totally, totally. And they say that similarly, like snow days for kids might go by the wayside, which is right. maybe not something you had a lot of as a kid in California, but that was like a significant part of my childhood, like the unexpected snow day. Right. And, and the joys of that. Yeah. The joys of that, yeah. And like that, that might not be any longer. So. Right, because now we know how to do education virtually. Exactly, exactly. exactly. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Number three, as I mentioned, um, questionable personal hygiene practices. I'm going to say goodbye. And there there was nothing too egregious, right? There was nothing too egregious. But, you know, like there would be things like coming home and not immediately washing my hands. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, God. Yeah, that's that's here forever. Right. Right. I can't believe I, I didn't do that. Or... I haven't done this in a while, but there would be times where I'd be outside, I'd come in, maybe sit on my bed and like, you know, still, you know, without having changed those Mm -hmm. kinds of things or Mm -hmm. um, what are, what other personal hygiene shifts have there been? I can offer one. I like, I used to like, if I, even if I'd worn the same, if I'd worn clothes outside, but they like still smelled fine and looked fine, I'd be like, these are fine. I don't need to wash them. And now never again. Right. So things like that, I've become much more because the aerosols are everywhere. Aerosols, man, airborne disease is everywhere. The infrared man just sneezing and just oh my god, like traveling to 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 New York, you know, just (laughs) just in the air everywhere. Yeah, but no, I mean, like we do so much more laundry than we did before because we also changed my kid after he comes home from preschool because I'm Ah, like we're not going to have this in our house, so right. So right. much laundry. Ugh, yes. Yeah. On that same vein, okay, this is something interesting. This is my number two. When I lived in London, right, mm-hmm. this is what I would have. And I realized we don't ever talk about this. And everybody has different, like, home, personal, uh, what, what would you call it? Like, hygiene or, like, I don't know what it is, right? They have different habits that, like, mm-hmm. we don't ever talk about because we grow up in one way. We think mm-hmm. that's the normal way, and never we ne- we never talk about it. And so I didn't realize that s- such things as home clothes were all that contentious. But let mm-hmm. me give you an example. Uh-huh. <laughs> I would wake up. Let's say if I'm just staying home all day, I would wake up in my pajamas or what I'm wearing. Right. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. I usually wear sweats and like a t-shirt. That's usually what my home clothes are. Right. Yeah. I'd get up, go downstairs, make some breakfast. You know, and then if I'm just staying home all day, I'm I'm just like working in those home clothes. When I take a shower, I take it off, I put it back on, and then I go be- go to bed. That is the one. The, home clothes are what my home clothes are, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. When I realized that there was a difference in philosophy here is when I lived with my British roommate, my mm-hmm. flatmate, he would get up in his home clothes mm-hmm. 
And even if he wasn't going anywhere, so, so let's say it's a weekend. If he, even if he wasn't going anywhere, he's not stepping outside one time. Mm-hmm. He changes into jeans, mm. and he's walking around his house in his jeans. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, the first few times I was very confused. I'm like, are you going somewhere? He's like, no. <laughs> These are my day clothes. I'm like, what are day clothes? They're jeans. And then, and then he was just like, yeah, I, I actually realized that you don't ever change. And I'm like. Because I'm home. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in my home clothes. He's like, well, you got to change your home clothes. Otherwise, the day can't start. I'm like, what? Is that, this is a real thing. Yes. This is yeah. a thing. And I, I had no idea that this was the case. Uh-huh. And now that we're home all day, uh-huh. I realized that, okay, I'm not going to go around wearing jeans in my house, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. But there are, there. I have adopted this idea of like, there are your bed clothes that you uh-huh. only wear in bed. And uh-huh. then, like, when you get up and you're still home, there are home clothes. Got you. My concept of home clothes has changed. Because while I'm home, a lot can happen to those clothes when you're walking around, especially when you're cooking, right? All that mm. oil gets on it, and then that mm-hmm. oil gets into your bed and all of that. And the bed has to be remain, like, I mean, that's just me. But mm-hmm. the bed, bed has to remain clean. Yes, right? yes. Uh-huh. So there are bed clothes, and then there are home clothes. That's where I am yes. now. That's super interesting. I am very glad you talked about this because <laughs> this is something that nobody talks about. What, like, what, how do you distinguish? Yeah. How do you categorize your clothes, right? Because I have also been historically a day clothes person. Interesting. But I now, I, I basically have embraced the idea that if I'm not going to see anybody, I don't have to put on jeans. I can put on, like, I, I, I have dipped my toes into athleisure and I can never leave again. Athleisure is, is seductive. It is it. It's, it, is it. <laughs> it is, it is the, the, com- the great compromise between all of these things, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So yes. Um, I used to wear jeans, like all of these people, like during the pandemic talking about how like, they're not used to wearing pants with buttons and whatever. Like I've been wearing pants with buttons this entire pandemic, but like uh, I didn't need to be. And now I know that I could have just put on athleisure. So there are bed, I definitely have bed clothes, but my definition of like day clothes has widened significantly. Gotcha. Okay. I was going to ask. So you have specific set of clothes that you wear to bed. Yes. You get out of bed and then you put on, let's say your athlete leisure. Correct. Even if you're not going out. Yeah. I don't wear my pajamas all day because I do have that same mentality where I'm like, I can't, if I, I'm wearing my pajamas, I only wear my, my pajamas all day if I'm sick, like if something is wrong and I'm like not feeling well and I'm like in and out of bed. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. See, pajamas, I didn't know the the distinction of pajamas. I thought pajamas was just clothes you wore at home. Oh, I think of pajamas as clothes you wear in bed. Uh, oh, yeah. my goodness. We have yeah. discovered a whole... This is like a definitional issue. But granted, but granted, I think your definition is more widely accepted. Okay, interesting. I, and that's what the realization that I came up with because when I, as I grew up, there was no distinction. Like when you came home, you you changed your outside clothes to your home clothes. But once you're in your home clothes, that's just what you're wearing to bed. That's what you're wearing like just at in your home you're in your so home your comfy clothes that you change into you just sleep in correct that is so so you just so you just do the changing part you do it at like 3 30 in the afternoon well if i'm staying home all day there was no changing right 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 fascinating yeah. wow i'm curious to see what other people think about this too anyways yeah. that's my number yeah that's my number Same. two i i'm gonna Same. i it's i haven't been habituated to it yet but i want to try to have a set of sleeping clothes pajamas as they're called <laughs> amazing number one my number one is i am saying goodbye to unstructured time Ooh, what yes 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 yes. so when you have a commute or a nine to five job you realize that a lot of structuring happens for you right so Mm -hmm. nine to five thirty is your work time right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. eight thirty to nine is your commute time and then like five thirty to six is your commute home time. And if you have errands to run, it's errands time. You get home, you cook, that's dinner time. And then like the little bit of unstructured time that you have is actually just relaxation or if there's things you need to do, get it work done or whatever. Your your time is structured for you, right? 
So one thing with this pandemic, and I'm, I'm still struggling with this, but I realized that there's nothing like that to structure my time. And so that's why I have allowed work to just kind of absorb and mm. soak up all time because yeah. that's the only thing I have going on. And mm. I didn't know how to draw boundaries, but I think boundaries is a little limiting. I think it's about structure. It's about like mm. from this time to this time, it's this. And from this time to this time, I am exercising. It doesn't matter what work I have. It doesn't matter who's calling. Mm-hmm. I'm working out during this time mm-hmm. and I'm sleeping at this time and I'm doing it and you have to structure your own time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And um, that was one. I'm only starting to learn that now, like nine months into the pandemic. Um, yeah. But, but going into 2021, no more unstructured time. It's just been too damaging to my work-life balance, which is mm-hmm. so ironic considering that I'm home all the time now. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think it's like a very common issue, especially for people without kids. Like you have, there's nothing to stop you from working all the time. Right. Unless you impose structure on it. That's right. And that's like something that you don't even think about doing. Right. Right. Are you going to allow yourself time though to not, to like not have plans and to do whatever you want besides work? Yes, of course. I mean, I have to. Right. Yes. Right. That's the. So you're going to plan in some unstructured time in your structure. <laughs> free time. Free time. Free time. Right. Okay. okay. And actually, by free time, I need I need to make time to read. Really, like mm. I, I I I missed reading, and I just need to get back to reading. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. that's um. Let's call that an early resolution for 2021. Nice. I like it. Goodbye. Like it. Unstructured time. That's good. That's my top five. I love it, dude. Yes. It's just ripe for discussion. I love it. <laughs> Home clothes, pajamas. Home clothes. A conversation I've never had but need to have. <sighs> okay. What's your top five? Okay. My number five. I am never again going to buy a drink from Starbucks. Um, so as a non-coffee drinker, hot. Ch- I used to like get Starbucks hot chocolates. I used to get all the time. Um, because I would have meetings at Starbucks or, you know, it's just, you're, I was just in and out all the time, but I had not been since the beginning of the pandemic. So like eight or nine months. And then I had one of their hot chocolates like a month ago. That stuff tastes like shit. Mm. It is actively bad, but like my taste buds were attuned to it somehow. And I've heard this is true of the coffee as well. The coffee is actively bad, but people drink it because it's like everywhere. So I've had a few other hot chocolates over the pandemic and they've all been excellent because they've all been like, you know, they've all been like special trips out to nice coffee shops that I've sought out, you know, made time and space to to visit. But um, I'm just not going to buy trash hot chocolate anymore. So is that just is that just goodbye to Starbucks then? I kind of think it is like what is I'm like, what could I get there at this point? Right. I mean, food, but it's not like their food is great either. Right. I don't know, man. I don't know what I'm going to do in the great after. But I also hope that the great after means like we can just, you know, maybe we'll, maybe I can skip this because meetings will be on Zoom or something. But I just don't want to give them any more of my money. Wow. Goodbye, yeah. Starbucks. Bye, Starbucks. Um, okay, my number four, this is a personal one that has nothing to do with the events of 2020 globally, but I am never again going to change a diaper for one of my children after 2020. What? Um, I am, I am jumping the gun a little on this one. We are potty training my younger child next week, but this is a big parenting milestone because it just changes the calculus of leaving the house altogether. You don't have to worry anymore about finding places to do it. Like if you have enough in your bag, I mean, not like it matters right now because it's not like we go anywhere, but like it changes everything. You save a ton of money. Like I, I feel like the this is an end of a chapter and I will never look back. Wow. I, 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 I fail to understand how that is not your number one. <laughs> it's like I just I can't really understand this, but okay, I'm I'm eager to hear what these top three are. It's probably because I'm going to be dealing with accidents for the next few months. But um, anyways, this is a l- massive shift. That's massive major. Shift. That's pretty major. Yeah. My number three is I will never spend a presidential or midterm election day at home. 
Pole working mm-hmm. is something I do now. And I talked about this before on the podcast, but like I just really loved getting to see how democracy works up close on a micro level. I got to interact with so many people that I never would have interacted with otherwise. It was like a tangible way to contribute my time and energy to this whole American experiment, as we said earlier. So um, this is what I do now. And You're a poll worker. I'm a poll worker. Only this time I'm going to go to Detroit. I'm not going to go to Trump country. Right. <laughs> that's that's how I'm going to Yeah, God, exactly. But you know what? At least you can tell yourself that you did that, which is like, you know, step into that territory in a full way, right? Not even just like passing through or having a a bite at a diner, but like actually engaging in democratic processes with Trump voters. I sure did. That is a once in a lifetime thing. It is a once in a lifetime thing and one that I never need to do again. Right. Because you've done it. I've done it. Exactly. Um, number two, I am never again going to sleep on daily exercise. I stopped doing this after I had my first kid. Um, I think like a lot of new parents, you're just like, you don't have time or you're like, I don't, you know, I get enough exercise chasing the kid or whatever. It's just, it's very difficult to prioritize, but it's been such a lifeline for me, both physically and mentally during this pandemic. Like, moving and also getting away from my children. So this is like, this is part of my life now. Um, I, it, 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 it's like a significant time commitment, but it's worth it. I bought a balaclava and ski goggles so I can keep going on my walks in the winter in Michigan yeah. without fucking up my skin. Yeah, It's like the Asian mom face visor only for Midwestern winters. <laughs> They were on to something, those Asian bums. Totally, man. I res- I mean, those face visors. Yeah. Ahead of their time. Everyone's wearing one now. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's laughing at them. Who's laughing now? Exactly. Who's laughing now? Who doesn't have coronavirus? Those Asian bums. <laughs> um, so that's my number two, daily exercise. Um, and my number one, I will never again not prioritize people of color. Mm. Um, and I feel like this is already the trajectory I was going on in all of my work, like creating spaces for people of color and even like kind of making it a priority to make friends of color when we moved here, knowing that I would like, I would end up meeting and probably befriending a lot of white people. Like I wouldn't need to work at that, but I feel like the events of this summer just kind of like clarified and crystallized what I think like how I want to prioritize my time. And like if my time is a very precious commodity, like the energy that I have, I'm going to put towards people of color, specifically uplifting people of color. So whether that's like creating communities for people of color, whether that's like starting committees at my kids' preschool to, like, be better about race and diversity and inclusion. Like, I think this is what I do now. I think, like, the this year has given me a name for that. And, yeah, that's, like, part of the mission statement now, I think, in a way that it was not explicitly before. It's made explicit what was implicit. Exactly, exactly. And that, yeah. that makes all the difference, right? Yeah, totally. So. Yeah. That sounds great. Thanks. Fingers crossed. Almost sounds like we had a a, a good year. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Almost uh, makes 2020 sound good. Yeah. Um, what what a what a year in review. Yes. So much to think about after t- having this conversation too. Okay. What should we talk about next time? Um so as I mentioned to you before, I'm moving to LA for a few months before I move to New York in the long mm-hmm. term. Mm-hmm. And this will be like the sixth or seventh time I'm moving to a different city and a different life and stuff. And for anyone who's gone through that experience, and I'm sure you have as well, it's not just moving locations, but it's like almost moving personalities, right? Oh, you're, yeah, definitely. You're defined by the people around you, right? And so when you leave those people, you can, in some ways, not in like truly fundamental ways, try out new things, try out mm-hmm. different personalities. So... 
Um, over the course of our lives, you can say that we've lived different personalities. So next week, let's talk about top five personas that we've tried on over the course of our lives. I love that. I can't wait. That one's gonna be fun. It is gonna be fun. And we are gonna be, we're gonna drag ourselves. And I also can't wait. Those are always me... the best. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> All right. This was fun. This was fun. Let's do it again sometime. See you in two weeks.